Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Happy early Thanksgiving since it's Thanksgiving Sunday for us. Uh, and, um, and we have a lot to be thankful for in our lives. Ultimately, the one thing that matters the most because it's the only eternal thing is uh, for those who know Jesus, we're saved for eternity. Uh, can we just give Jesus a thank you round of applause? And I want to, I'm going to read the song we just sang. If, if you weren't affected by it, we'll get the defibrillator and, and help you have a heartbeat. But uh, it, it actually connects so well with what Peter's getting across in 2 Peter 3. And you can turn to 2 Peter 3, really the whole book, but he's leading us to 2 Peter 3. There will be a day when all will bow before Jesus. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with all who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. On that day, we join the resurrection. We stand beside the heroes of faith. Think Hebrews 11, like you'll be locking arms with them. With one voice, a thousand generations sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain, and Jesus is right there in our midst. And on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of faith. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, forever he shall reign. So let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven with angels and saints. We raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy Holy is the Lord. I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, on Wednesday, and he's going to probably pass away in the next day or two from just being riddled with cancer, and he can barely speak, and I got in trouble for making him laugh and, uh, because he went to a coughing fit, <clears throat> and he's a dear friend of mine from Alaska, and I was realizing it's the last time I'm ever going to talk to him on planet Earth, and he said, Scotty. He goes, I'm ready for this sickness to be done. And I said, what are you hoping for? Like, what would you paint as a picture of your, your eternity? And he goes, he goes, I don't know if there's a gate. And I don't think Peter's standing there with a notebook with my name in it, uh, like we see in movies or here. He goes, but I hope, I hope, Scotty, that if there's a gate, if there's an entrance that we literally go through, I hope Jesus is the first one there. He goes, I want to look in the eyes of the one who saved my life. And he goes, and then I want to look at, I'm going to ask him to look at his hands. And he said, you think my name is written there next to the scar? And I was like, whoa. He goes, I'm ready. And I can't wait to see him. And if my name is written there, I might stand there weeping for a year. And I'm like, well, it'll feel like a day. And then he laughed and I got in trouble. But um, but just the thought that this is not the be-all, end-all on planet Earth. We, this, this is the worst it'll ever get, right? It only gets perfect. Every day is supposed to build towards abundant life. But then there'll be a day when all there is is perfect abundant life. There will be a day 
death, tears, pain, grieving will be no more. Frustration, not even a vocabulary word in heaven. That's what we're saved to. And that's what we're on planet Earth still to give away to others. And that's Peter's point today. And so as we look back at chapter 2, last week was a dark chapter, but, but in looking back at chapter 2, Peter now aims us forward and, and, and our minds and our hearts upward to live mindful, to be hopeful, to be confident, to live on mission. Now I'm going to read all of 2 chapter 3, or 2 Peter chapter 3, there we go, um, for us, and then we'll talk about it, um, 18 verses here. And it says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Is he really real? That's what he's, he's saying they're going to say. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like the thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to come back, to save us, to make it all right, to do what we read in Revelation 21. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day the Lord will come is unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire in the earth, and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in the sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things, in all of his letters, some of his commands are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried off, carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Peter reminds us here that 
God faithfully keeps every promise he ever makes. And, and we get impatient because we're not God and we don't understand and, and we're finite and we're, we, we're flawed. And so some of you get really impatient. Like me, I don't, I don't worry about it. I'm perfect in that. We get impatient. When? Why? How? What? Come on, you said. Da, da, da. Fill in every blank we've all done from the time we were little. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We still say, are we there yet? We just make it sound better. And God just, he doesn't get to say, stop asking me questions. And he doesn't get frustrated like some of you parents do. I don't. My five kids are perfect. So, But our big idea today, taken from what Peter says here is, while you wait, patiently, make every effort. And then fill in the blanks what that means. What's, what's after? Make every effort to, make every effort when you, make every effort for. You see, Peter is, is challenging believers here to, who, who are committed followers of Jesus. He's, he's talking to those who have said, I'm following him and I'm not being duped. I'm not, I'm not being a part of this lie culture. I'm not being a part of this world. He, he challenges them to make a lifelong investment in growing, as he says, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, verse 18. So what kind of people ought we to be? I think that's proper English. If it's not, just go with it, okay? Uh, I was looking at it today, and I, and I, or the other day, and I... And I I can find about 12 different things in there of ways we ought to be, but there are three to me that, that really stand out and are highlighted as far as who Jesus is to me, who I'm becoming, and being a part of his great commission on planet Earth. And the first one starts with that. It's number one, living on mission, helping others find Jesus like we read in verse nine that is the absolute heart of God. If there's one takeaway in all three chapters, it's God's heart is that everyone he makes is saved and knows him. Ezekiel 33, 11 says he, he, he hates when the wicked die because he loses them. He doesn't want anyone to die without knowing him. And God accomplishes his purposes through the actions of, of those of us that follow Jesus, these actions that Ephesians 2.10 says that he planned and planned long before we said yes to Jesus. You are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, his masterpiece. And, and, he, and he made you new so that you could do the things he planned for you to do long ago, which is always has to do with chat, uh, verse nine, seeing people saved. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I, I came to seek and save the lost. And he gave us the great commission before he left. The second kind of people we ought to be is we ought to be those who become more like Jesus every single day of our lives. Verse 11 says, holy and godly. What holy and godly lives ought you to live? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Holy Spirit works in us to turn us into the same image and likeness of Jesus. One Degree at a time. He doesn't do it like 40 degrees at a time like Texas weather, right? It doesn't go from 80 to 40. Well, the other way it'd be 40 to 80 because it could be 80 in two weeks or whatever. He, one degree at a time, according to scripture, so the ESV reads, 
Some say glory to glory, but it's one little bit at a time we become like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Father God wants us to look like his son. That's how we become more like Jesus. Peter calls believers to be those who are, who are characterized by holiness and godliness. That's what he says here. To be holy means that we let Jesus invade every facet of our lives, every part of our being, and we become more like him every single day. The way I think, the way I act, uh, the, the setting of my heart, how I treat people, how I react to people. That's still the one I'm like, you know, Lord, all this stuff's going on, but my reactions in the moment, can you do something about those? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, if I know something's coming, well, I can prepare. But it's when it's like, like that, I'm like, oh, Scott's in charge, not Jesus. But he wants our reactions to be naturally like Jesus. That's hard. I don't know if any of us really got that down pat. Some are better than others. Let's look at those who are doing well and go, what'd you do? How, how do you do that? Help me along. But so that our thoughts and, and our heart and our actions and reactions, the words we say, the things that we do online. Oh, you're meddling. Right? That that all sounds, looks, and is like Jesus. That's to be holy. To be godly means I live a life that's fixated on God. I'm reminded of the old, the old hymn. It's one of my two favorites. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's how I'm fixated. Whatever I'm fixated on is what has my heart and attention, my, my, my worship. So if I'm fixated on God, if I'm fixated on, on knowing him in here, not doing a Bible reading, but knowing the one I'm reading about, that's how I become godly. And again, it's one degree at a time. The third thing, way, or kind of person that we ought to be, according to the, the, what stands out as far as the, the real heart of God in this, is that we do every single thing we can to be peace bringers. Verse 14, that we're ones who, when we walk into somewhere or a setting or a, a home or a hospital room or, or a, a, a crazy workforce or if you're in a school, I mean, naturally schools are, you know, kind of chaotic at times. Be a peace bringer. Be a peace bringer with who you are and how you are. Choose actions that you would want Jesus to see you do. Think about it. In every way you act or react, choose one that Jesus would say, I, I would do that. Well done. I would do that. Say words that you would want your heavenly father to hear you say. Yeah, it's getting a little tougher now. Because like 90% of the time, okay. But that 10% can be so cutting. Or just so negative. You might be a sad sack. God would never be a sad sack. If you're too young, you don't know what that means. It's like, wah, wah, okay. I used the, the phrase of soap opera the other day, and I was glad I was in a room where everybody's about my age or older, because uh, I don't know if they get soap operas anymore. But um, Choose words that God the Father, your dad, 
would say, I love hearing you talk like that. And if you're convicted by the words you say, good. Let that lead you to repentance and godliness and holiness. That's okay. If you feel convicted about something you did or said or how you acted, that is a great thing. That means you still have a responsive heart towards the Holy Spirit who's trying to turn you into the image of Jesus. Act on it and don't beat yourself up, but also don't ignore it. Conviction is fantastic because it's life-bringing and hope-filled. And then make decisions that the Holy Spirit would approve of. The Spirit of the living God inside you and I as believers. Let's make decisions that the Holy Spirit would go, hey, that's what I was thinking. Hey, I would do that too. Hey, we're right, we're, we're right on track. I'm living in you and you're doing what I would do. That's it. The words, the, the, the actions, the, the decisions, if you do those that God the Trinity God would approve of and do himself, that's it. That'll bring peace everywhere you go. You don't have to figure out some method or some you know, incantation or, or something that, uh, of how to bring peace. You just act like Jesus would act, talk like God the Father would want, and, and make decisions that, that the Holy Spirit would say, yep, that's me. Now, I want us to really spend most of the time taking a deeper look at verse nine. Because to me, that is the, the heartbeat of the whole book, but the, it's the full heartbeat of God. The reason that he didn't just wipe away the planet after the sin in the garden is because he wants to save people. He wants people in heaven with him. He created us so that we could be the object of God, his affection. He didn't need us. He wasn't missing something. The Trinity God was like perfect in relationship. He just said, let's make a being that we can pour our perfect love into. That would be awesome. And then let's bring them into eternity with us. And then sin happens, which he knew was gonna happen, so he had a plan anyway. But his heart is to save everyone. And and again, I, I, I kind of qualify, say this, but if you ever grew up in a, in a setting, in a, in a teaching setting or a church where, that said that there are some chosen and some not by God or some elected like you read, it, it, election doesn't mean some were picked for heaven and some were picked for hell. Election means all were elected for salvation. We choose to say yes or not. So everyone God ever creates, he wants to save or else most of the New Testament would lie about God. Election means he elected all to be saved. He, he got a, a gift, he, he created it for us, he wrapped it, he gives it to us, and we get to choose whether they open or not. So election is for all, not some go and some don't. That's really a lie about the character of God. I'll leave that there. Uh, we can talk about it, Just call me, text me, we'll talk about it further if, if, that, if you struggle with that. But I wanna look at, in a deeper way, verse nine, the heart of God. I wanna read you some other versions other than the NLT I just read. One says that he, and it's kind of the second half of that verse, so that we can have an opportunity to turn to him and change the way we act or think. That's repentance, changing the way I think that changes the way I act. That is repentance. That's, that's, that's one of the big definitions of repentance. I love what the message says. He's holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. He's not slow about coming back. He's not trying to figure out the end. 
He wants more people to be in eternity with him because he's their dad. He's giving us time to change hearts and lives. He's giving people opportunity to turn towards God's path. Simply put, the furious longing for God for each and every one of us is seen in verse nine. This deep desire that can't even be explained. We do our best, but we can't come close to explaining how, how dearly we're loved and how, how much he wants to save all. God's mercy is unending. His grace is beyond understanding. His love for us is, is truly indescribable. We could say all the words that we could all come up with and they'd still pale in comparison to what, what his love really is. And when you and I are convinced of his great love for us, when maybe we're convinced again because we've been broken or we've gotten off the track or, or we're coming back, we're rededicating, recommitting, or we're just getting ourselves recalibrated to God because the world does try to beat us down and sometimes we fall for it. When we're convinced of that love, when, when you get healed from whatever's broken you because God loves you that much, you and I, when we're that convinced, we'll be the ones to radically pursue those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are wayward, those who have gone away from the 99 and are standing on a cliff as the one all alone out there. We'll take that unconditional love of God, that radical love of God for their hearts, and we'll take them that and we'll say, let me show you Jesus. Let me love you like Jesus. Let me be here for you. Let me rescue you because the, the Holy Spirit's working through me. I mean, when Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, it's no longer your own solo life, but it's Jesus living through you. No longer I who lives, but Christ in me. It's, it's about Jesus and his heart for people, broken, lost, wayward, de deceived, debaucherous, prideful, wherever they are, where they're missing out on the fullness of life with God, it's about you and I letting Jesus out, Let, letting Jesus love them through us. He's saying that our actions just become the actions and reactions that Jesus did when he walked on planet Earth and that he would do if he were here right now. And it brings to mind his interaction with Zacchaeus. Most of us probably know the story. Zacchaeus was a? Yes, we're good Sunday school students. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. No, a wee little man was he, right? He's a short chief tax collector. So tax collectors were basically, you know, ones who extorted money and stole from their own people. And he was the chief of all of them. He had to see Jesus. He heard he's coming, too short to see him. Gets up in a tree and we get one of the greatest salvation stories ever put down on paper. And Jesus walks right up to him and he says, Zacchaeus, I gotta go eat at your house, which meant I wanna do life with you. And I'm being very public about it. I'm not gonna come in the dark of night. I wanna go and hang out at your house because you matter to me and I wanna know you. And people went, <gasps> and religion went. <laughs> Understandably, they didn't understand. But Jesus doesn't care about religion. He doesn't care about what people think. He just wants them to know him and be saved for all eternity because he came down here to seek and save the lost. And that's what he told Zacchaeus. 
And in our lives, we all have Zacchaeuses. You may be Zacchaeus, watching online or listening on the radio. You may be like, I, I have Zacchaeuses, but I'm like the chief Zacchaeus. I'm lost. I'm just looking for something. And I'll say this to you, like Jesus said to him, he came to seek and save you. He wants to do life with you. I don't care what your mess is or what your circumstances are or what the future looks like or what the present speaks loudly. Jesus wants you because he wants to save you, because he wants to do life with you. And he says, please let me be your redeemer and the forgiver of all your sins. Say yes to me. And you can do that. If you're Zacchaeus, just say yes today. And for all of us, we probably have a Zacchaeus in our life. Maybe a family member or a coworker or a neighbor. It could be a spouse, you know. It could be that close to you. It could just be a dear friend that just won't follow Jesus. Or maybe it's a Zacchaeus that's walked away from relationship with Zacchaeus. But there are those that we love who are either lost or have walked out on that relationship. And I wonder... How would Zacchaeus relate to those, how would Jesus relate to those Zacchaeuses in our lives? Because you and I may have come to our wits end with them. Years or frustrations or things they've done and the the pain has gotten that much or just like, "Ah, nope, not anymore. Zacchaeus can come find me. I'm not going anymore. How How would Jesus relate to that Zacchaeus. I think, like he did in the story, he'd walk straight up to your Zacchaeus and look him in the eyes. He'd show such unconditional love and acceptance right then and there that all the defenses they had would melt away and they wouldn't even understand it because of the simplicity of love shown that was so powerful that they would just melt before him and Jesus would be so tender towards him at the same time so truly joy filled he got to be with them that would blow their minds like Jesus is joyful that he gets to be with me but I'm Zacchaeus and without requiring anything in the moment Jesus would just break off that callous heart cage that they've constructed for years and decades And they'd be drawn to the joy that they do not know, but they realize exists. They know that Jesus has it and that he's joyful because he's with them. And they'd be like, I don't even understand that. Because religion tells me you can't be around me. And the world tells me you're you're just full of rules and regulations. And and I can't even come close to, to that. So I might as well just do my own thing. But here you are and you're loving me and you're liking and excited about the fact that you get to be in my presence. That's how Jesus would relate to your Zacchaeus. And as unreligious as it is, that prodigal, that Zacchaeus, is the cause of the joy of Jesus simply because he gets to be with him. Because if you take the scripture for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, that horrible crucifixion for you, of course he'd have joy to be in the presence of one Zacchaeus. And if I can begin to relate and engage my Zacchaeus this way, I think they'll be struck by love and, and, and drawn by the wonder of the one who's crazy about them. 
Whoever your Zacchaeus is, God's crazy about that person. Like for those of you who had your, had your baby for the first time, when you held that baby, you were like, oh, I'm crazy about you. Or you met, you met your to-be spouse, you're like, ooh, I'm crazy about that girl. I'm crazy about that guy. Just multiply that by infinity. God's crazy about every Zacchaeus out there. They don't make him crazy. He's crazy about them. And I hope that instead of us being a church of great theology, which I hope we are, but instead of being a church of great theology, I pray we're always known as a community of unconditional lovers that draw hearts to Jesus like magnets. If we can be known as a community of people who love unconditionally, we're gonna get our theology right. Because unconditional love only comes from one person, and that's God. So who's your Zacchaeus? You know. You know. It's that girl everyone's given up on. It's that guy who's incapable of choosing right. It's that boss or that coworker who's not worth it because of how they act at work and in life and with no integrity. It's that family member that everyone says, oh, they're coming, oh. And, and, and he or she's been labeled as incorrigible. Or somebody kind of like that. That's your Zacchaeus. It's that person that you said, I'm tired of wasting my time on this one, and I'm out. Although as a Christian, I would make it smooth, and I'd say, I'm just going to trust them in the hands of the Lord. And I'd be like, I'm out. Don't tell Jesus. Sounds a lot better to my Christianity. And I'm not saying I know the exact answer for how you relate to your Zacchaeus, but you've got one. You've got one up. I don't know exactly what to do or how to love them there, but Jesus didn't say, I'm only going to this one Zacchaeus. He went to every Zacchaeus that was there. He went to Mary Magdalene. He, went to the, he was there, the thief on the cross. He found Paul on a road to murder Christians. He found Peter, then he found Peter again. Every Zacchaeus, Jesus goes to where they are. We gotta go to where our Zacchaeus is. I don't know the frustration or the pain or the angst that, that you've gone through or that you endure in that relationship, and you certainly don't know mine. But we know this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he used Zacchaeus for us. So we've got no excuses. And we know this. God loved us so much in our Zacchaeus sin lifestyle that he sent Jesus to die in our place, John 3, 16. And God's desire is that everyone he's ever made is saved because he doesn't want anyone lost. 2 Peter 3, 9, Ezekiel 33 tells us that God doesn't want a single person to die without knowing him. He loves to love us. And Jesus said that we're gonna be identified as his followers by one simple Criterion, how we love others. John 13, 35. That's the one way you'll be identified as a Jesus follower, how you love other people. Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, passed away now, says this. You are going to leave people feeling a little better or a little worse. You will affirm them or deprive them, but there is never a neutral exchange. 
Our God is patient. He wants everyone saved, and he loves to use you to make it happen. So we're going to take some time as we, as we have this patient anticipation like we talked about today, and as we, as we, as we live to, uh, uh, to, to find ways to, to become like Jesus and to love people for Jesus, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna contend that everyone's saved. And it might be a saved person that's lost their way, so we're going to contend they come back into right relationship, or it might be someone who, if they died today, would be gone from the presence of Jesus for eternity. We're going to contend for our Zacchaeuses, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to take a moment. And as I pray, you're going to pray. Don't even listen to me when I'm praying. Pray for your Zacchaeus. Ask this patient God to give you strategy for how to reach Zacchaeus with the heart of Jesus. Because that's really the main thing. We know what to say. We know the truth of the gospel. We know he came to save them, that he died in our place, that he loved the world so much that, that he didn't even hold back giving his only son that everyone who believes in him could be saved. We know there's an eternity with Jesus after this, this planet ends and our lives end and, and there's a life without Jesus for eternity called hell for those who don't accept him. So we know all those details and that's good to know and we can grow in that. But Lord, what's my strategy for lovingly reaching my Zacchaeus now? That's what we're asking for. So pray with me. You, if you need to, don't even listen to me. Just pray. Lord, we bring before you our Zacchaeus. Whoever he may be, she may be, they may be. We come before you. And, and Father God, we ask you to save them. Save them. Rescue them from their selves. Rescue them from their, their just their life without you. Rescue them from, from the, the cliff's edge where they've walked away. Rescue them from their pig pen of the prodigal. Just rescue that Zacchaeus in our lives. And would you help us to know how to reach them, the words to say, the ways to act, the, the way to love, the, the way to just be receiving of them just to want to be in their presence and let them know we love being around them and let that love of God ooze into them and onto them. Give us opportunity. God, give us strategy. Give us a heart. Give us patience like you have patience. There are people living their lives in absolute hatred towards you and you are patient because you love them. Let us be that way. I pray that every Zacchaeus right now in our minds and in our hearts in this room. Every Zacchaeus is saved. There is not one Zacchaeus lost. There's not one from this room that is lost. But all find you and you use us however you need to. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. God bless and have a great week.